0: Okay, good evening everybody. Good to see you. We're learning today Lili Nishmas Khanadvarabas Aaron of and we're learning the Pirushim of Rabbeinu Bachia and Parshas Mikates. The beginning of in the beginning of Parshas Mikates, in, in the introduction and the first piece of Rabbeinu Bachia of Parshas Mikates, he actually says something which begins really in the last Parsha. In the end of Parshas Vayeshev, Yosef has his chance to interpret the dreams of the butler and the baker, and he interprets the dream of the butler, Latoiva, that he's going to be restored. And so we have a situation where Yosef, who's here innocently in the jail, is taking care of someone who's going to be part of the, one could say, the kitchen cabinet of Paro very shortly. And uh, that's a great opportunity. And yosef turns to him and he says, "Kim itcha, you you should remember me with you when you when uh, you'll have this good and don't forget me." And the pasuk then says that he didn't remember him; he forgot him. And uh, there's a famous taina. There's a famous claim which Chazal have. Rashi brings it that you know the uh, Chazal say This was yosef ha'tzadik who seemed to be relying on this Sar HaMashkim, relying on the butler, a meaningless and, and vain person, and uh, he was turning his bitochan away from HaKodesh Baruch Hu. Rabbeinu Bachya, however, says something else. He says, of course, Yaisaf HaTzadik didn't turn his heart away from HaKodesh Baruch He was Maimon, he believed in the Ravai except he said, Ravai Nashelela, you sent this as an avenue, you know, as we just described at the outset, Yasef now is finding himself in the company of, in a very positive way, of a person who's going to be right there at Paro's hand. And he rightfully saw that this was something HaKadosh Baruch Hu was putting into place in order to be able to save him. So he said, so let me go and make an effort with this person, who HaKadosh Baruch Hu's put here. That's what I'm supposed to do. But that, says Rabbeinu Bahya, was a mistake even though he knew that HaKadosh Baruch Hu had put him there, and Hatzolas HaKadosh Baruch Hu is HaTzadikim mm-hmm. Ayyidei Sibaisu, the way HaKadosh Baruch Hu will save the Tzadikim is going to be with sibois, with things that are causal, that will help to make it happen. However, the thing was that he did not have to take any specific action to intervene. Ki Rabbi Noach says here a radical chilush that it was not suitable for someone who was righteous like Yosef HaTzadik to make any effort whatsoever, and that's why he was punished. He should have his bitochen in Hakadosh Baruch Hu should have been that he should just sat there and watch it happen from Hakadosh Baruch Hu. So Hashem will take care of it, and he could say, "I'm observing Hashem taking care of it." without me doing anything. Not that Hashem is taking care of it by providing me with the means to do something. Hashem, as the old joke goes, sent the helicopter and sent the boat. No, Hashem did. He sent things that would take care of it for him by himself. In the end, the butler would tell Paro and Paro would call for Yosef. Nothing to do with anything that Yosef did to get the butler to do it. Yosef just, he did right now, he did what he had to do to interpret the dream. That was for him, for the other guy, for himself. Yosef didn't have to do anything. Anything he did for himself didn't help him. And that's the madrega of the tzaddik, and HaKadosh Baruch Hu was, was upset with him. HaKadosh Baruch Hu midzaktek im chasidov or im kechut hasara. He's with tzadikim even a hair's breadth of deviation. V'chein derech Sadikim who are complete in their Midas HaBitochon, seek no cause, seek no way. And he brings the example of Elio HaNavi, who went out into the desert when he had to run away from Achav and he was taken care of. Arvim ravens, came to feed him. But Elio did nothing. He just went. And he sat there in the cave. And the ravens came to take care of him. There was nothing that he did to seek it. There was nothing that he did to help it. And Yosef over here did something to seek it. He did something to help it. And that's the, the, the failure. He didn't really, says Rabbeinu Machia, put his faith in a person. It was that he turned a little bit away from HaKadosh Baruch, who's saying, you know, Rabbeinu Shalom, I have to help. I have to help you out. And he should have left it completely in the hands of HaKadosh Baruch. It's a very, very big concept. And Ravenu Bachya, in the beginning, what I read to you was Raveinu Bachya back at the end of Parshas Vayeshev, where he makes the effort with the butler. In the beginning of Parshas Miketz, as is his tradition, he starts with interpreting a verse in Mishle. And the verse which he starts Vayeshev, Vay, Vay, Miketz with, is, Rely on Hashem with all of your heart, and don't lean, don't rely on your own wisdom, on your own understanding. So the Rabbeinu Bachy goes on a whole explanation of this idea that a person should not rely on themselves and think that their wisdom will get them places. And then he says, he goes on to talk about Bitochen. And he says Bitochen of a person, the trust which a person invests in something, is divided into eight categories. Now the part which he says here is coming from Rabbeinu Bachia, but not Rabbeinu Bachia, Ben Osher, the author of the commentary which we're learning, but the earlier, Rabbeinu Bachya Ibn Pekuda, who authored the Chavis Halvavas, And in the Chavis Halvavas there's a famous fundamental section called the Shar HaBitochen, the section about faith. And in the section about faith, he speaks about all the different things in which people put their trust at different ways. And he starts off really like what you have in psychological theory, and that is that the first Bitochen that he has is in the mother's breast. And then he relies on the mother beyond that. The mother takes care of him and other things. And then he relies on the father because he realizes that the father is helping the mother to provide. And then after the father, then he starts to rely on his own abilities as he grows up. So then he realizes there are things here that I can do myself. And then the fifth is that he relies on HaKadosh Baruch Hu when he's not able to do it himself. That's the first level of Bitochen. And the sixth level of Bitochen is when he relies on HaKadosh Baruch Hu, even when he is able to do something. I can work hard in order to be able to make a living, but I rely on HaKadosh Baruch Hu HaKadosh Baruch Hu could, can make it easier. So there's even where I'm able to make effort, I still play, make place for reliance on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. The seventh level is that he relies on HaKadosh Baruch Hu even for things which are easy. I know that he's the one who makes me successful. But the eighth level, says Rabbi Nubachi and the Chavah Salva and Rabbi Nubachi quotes him here, is she Baruch Hu He'll rely on HaKadosh Baruch Hu so completely that he won't point his mind to any specific effort whatever HaKadosh Baruch Hu does is fine whatever HaKadosh Baruch Hu does is fine the ultimate trust in HaKadosh Baruch Hu isn't I want A I can't have A unless HaKadosh Baruch Hu will help me to be able to get to A so I'm going to do everything I can to help HaKadosh Baruch Hu to help me to get to A the real Balvi Bitochem says, Rabbi Nobachi says, I want whatever the Rav brings my way. Which is haflev fella It's an astounding, astounding level of, uh, of uh, idea that he's talking about here. It, the, the explanation which he says, if HaKodesh Baruch who wanted a person to have a difficulty or a suffering, the person should welcome it. He should seek no effort to get out of it. He says, de facto, trying to do something to get out of the situation which he finds himself in, as plotted by HaKadosh Baruch Hu, means that he's not trusting in HaKadosh Baruch Hu so completely and totally. He can rely on HaKadosh Baruch Hu. he can rely on HaKadosh Baruch Hu completely and totally. And so he writes and goes on and he says, it's not roy, it's not suitable for the Tzadik hasholem to make any efforts to try to change anything. So Yosef, who trusted in HaKadosh Baruch because he even asked the butler that he should help him, that's why he wasn't quite on that level of bitochen. That's the ultimate level of bitochen, And this is a very big Chirush. And I will just mention to you that there are those who say it even with regard to tefillah. And here we're talking about him making a, a, a material effort, a lobbying effort, a request of the Saramashkin. How about turning to the Rav to ask him to change something? Is that also a problem of seeking a Siba Sashem Hashem that should be different than Hashem's plan? Just submit to Hashem's plan. So there is, you could see even, to some degree, I believe it's Nirmas in the Mabit, that when we have modim as part of tefillah, and it's a funny thing because we're thanking the Baruch Hu, we don't know that he said yes to what we asked. And as I, as we could note, we learn that you're supposed to praise Hashem before you ask him from Moshe Rabbeinu, where in Parshas Sfoy he pleaded with Hashem and he started to say, Hashem elikim atach, ilo aris savducha he starts singing the praises of Hashem, and then he asks him, I want to come to Eretz Yisrael. We learn from there that you have to praise before you ask. But we don't find Maishu Rabbeinu thanking when he finished, saying, Maidim, Haidah. We have Shevach and Bakasha, we don't have Haidah. Maishu Rabbeinu wasn't given what he asked. He wasn't Ma'ida. We were given what we were asked, so we are so we're Maidah. So Mayda even for things from other times, it's not such a big problem. But the Mabit seems to understand, part of it, that the Haidah is that there's a stage of tefillah where the person says, Rabbi Nishlalo, whatever you do is fine. You spend the first part of the Shemunasari turning to HaKadosh Baruch Hu for this thing, that thing, the other thing. But that's all in a certain sense as Rabbeinu Bachia seems possibly to have it here, a little bit lower of a Midas Because you're not just trusting HaKadosh Baruch Hu to say whatever you do is fine. I want certain things. You now this goes to a, the core philosophical question people ask about tefillah. Why are you asking for something? Hakadosh Baruch Hu knows. You know what's best for you. He's going to decide for you. He knows what you deserve. Why? Why are you even mispahel? If that's a question, But that's a question which the which uh, which the the uh, the world asks. Ravina Bachya's answer to that, at least according to some, who understand that it's not just talking about physical efforts, but even about tefillah, is, you're right. To ask HaKodesh Baruch Hu to change something, is not the ultimate measure of tzedkus. To be maida, to gra- be grateful to for who whatever he gives, that's the ultimate expression, the ultimate measure of tzikras. So it's a very big concept. Again, it's found in Rabbeinu Bahia and found as well here in Bach, Pirush in the end of Ayeshev and in the beginning of Parshas Mikates. I would like to just note that in the discussion that Rabbeinu Bachia has when it speaks about the dream of Parai, so he makes a distinction a little bit beyond the distinction which is made in the Gemara. In the Gemara, where it speaks about dreams, it says there are two kinds of dreams. There are dreams which come from the Rabbeinu Shlelem, and there are dreams which are a continuation of what the person was thinking during the day. Rabbi Nubache actually speaks about three kinds of dreams. There are dreams which aren't even a continuation of a person's imagination, but there are things which a person eats that get the systems going, and that in itself would, uh, would, 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 so to speak, help to formulate the dreams. Then there's a second, which is a person had their mind thinking and running during the day. Where that mind goes when the person's asleep is a continuation of that. And then there's a third kind of dream. And the th- third kind of dream is that something which came to him because he's unconscious, because his body's asleep, because in a certain sense his mind is asleep, in a certain sense, but in another, HaKadosh Baruch Hu sends him something. Not a result of a situation which you or I set up, but just something that burst from above. And that's the, the kind which uh, we would consider to be something the Nebuah. He explains, interestingly, that there's a famous Gemara, that today, Nevuah was taken away from the Nevi'im. And who has Navua? So, Chazal say, Shaitim and Tinaikais, fools and children. Now, what does that mean that it goes to Shaitim and Tinaikais? Said Rabbi Nubachya, Our minds are so filled, our imagination runs so strong that when we go to sleep at night, the brain is taken up by the thoughts which we've had during the day. It is the Shaitim and the Tinaikais who don't have such things cluttering their minds in the same way, that for them there's room for the words of Nebuah from HaKadosh Baruch Hu to come through and to resonate. It's a very interesting idea. Normally we, we think of children that their minds are always all over the place, that their imaginations are the most vivid and the most active. But he, 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 uh, he doesn't see it that way. He was, made al-Hayar. Harai was standing over the yar, over the river. Rabbeinu Bahya writes over here something which I think is really amazing. And that is, he says that the term Yahr and the term Nahar, right? both terms for a river, what do they relate to? They relate to the term The Yahr is Yahr. Nahar, Nara, Nahora, is as well, R is light. Nohaira is light in Aramaic. So both of these terms are terms which refer to light. So he has a little bit of an explanation. But what uh, one could say to a certain degree, of course, is that we see iris coming from HaKodesh Baruch. The first thing that Hashem created in creation is v'yemrel kimihi are let there be light. It's the ultimate expression of that which comes from HaKodesh Baruch Hu. Tyre is called light. It comes from HaKodesh Baruch Hu. Fire. The River, waters, are also the same thing. Waters are the expression of the Hashgokha that comes from the heavens above down to the earth below. That's also a gift from HaKodesh Baruch Hu. The fact that both of them have this same term that's associated with them is something which would seem to be Extremely, extremely significant. <clears throat> Paro had dreams. He had the dreams about the fat cows and the skinny cows. He had the dream about the sheep, about the the the. Uh, the, um, the 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 sheaves. So the 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 um, the rabbeinu writes as follows. Yaduah, this is in Pesach Teshayin. Parivami ami m'aminim hakadmus. Paray and his wicked nation, they believed in kadmus. Kadmus means they believed in a non-created world, a world that was always there. They deny Hashem's awareness of what's going on in the world, His intervention in what's going on in the world, in the creation of the world at all. They deny the creation. They believe that all the things that happen to people down here, it's all an expression of chance. It's all coming from whatever, as the world turns. He says, What are the letters in the name Para? Ofor. Dust. What's dust? Dust is the ultimate of the Yesodos of Chumrius, of physicality. We speak about four Yesodos, four fundamental elements in the world dust, Ofor, Mayim, water. Ruach, gas, air, wind, and ash and fire. Ofer is the earthiest of them all. And the earthiest of the all, the most physical of them all, is that which is most removed from the divine imprint and the divine presence. He was paray because that was the way of Mitzrayim, to believe that the world is a chumri duka world, a physical world, as far away from HaKadosh Baruch Hu, As possible and he says that's why when he was shown the dreams when Pari was shown the dreams the the dreams were about the seven cows coming from the river and the seven stocks growing growing up from the ground and the idea is that you're seeing a world which is coming from Mayim coming from the water and coming from the Afar, which is even denser and thicker and farther away from the the water, and seeing that those things are going to be affected by this dream. So, Paro, you need to understand from this that there is no part of the world that's so remote that it is to be seen as removed from the Hashkoch of Hashem. The dream is affecting even the water and even the Afar and even the dust. That's the idea that uh, he sees being said here. Mm-hmm. Ultimately, yeah. the lesson that has to be driven home to Parei Melech Mitzrayim is a lesson of Hashgacha, a lesson of the involvement that's to be had in the world, in, 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 in Hashgacha, in the involvement of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's what Hashem is bringing into Mitzrayim through the Makos of Mitzrayim. He's being taught and being shown the extent of HaKadosh Baruch Hu's involvement the rabbeinu bachi goes on to point to a number of other markers of this first of all Yisef hatzadik's usage of the term Elokim all the way all the time he uses the term Elokim, which is implying hashem with his involvement hashem of massa bereshis the name of hashem of massa bereshis he points out he have elohim elohim in beresh it's gracious boy Elokim. And then Asher Bora Elokim LaSais. It's all framed by Elokim. The statement of Elokim is a statement of affirmation of Hashem as the one who created the world and the one who's therefore involved in the world. That's what Yosef has to bring to Pare. That's what Pare has to learn, in order for this to uh, to um, to to be properly conveyed. That's the lesson which is being brought to Mitzrayim. I just want to. Add one nakuda, one point, which which is uh, which is worthy of note. I think, in regard to this, and that is that you know Mitzrayim was the land of Kshafim, was the land of magic of sorcery, and there was a rule. There's a rule about Kshafim. What's the rule? The rule is you can only do them if you have your feet on the offer on the ground, on the earth. If you'll remember, it, we'll, we'll, we'll get to it, Bezos Hashem, in a few weeks, in Parshas Vo'era. So what happens? So Maisha starts doing the makos, and the Egyptian magicians follow suit, and they're not impressed, until they get to the plague of Kinim. When they get to the plague of Kinim, what happened? Kinim, lice, all the land, all the ground, all the dust became like lice. And then the, 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 the Khartoumim couldn't do it. Why? Because they were disconnected from the, offer from the dust of the earth. The Gemara tells a story about Shimon ben Shetach, but the the witches, that the way they stopped the witches from being able to do their sorcery was by picking them up, taking lifting them off the ground, sweeping them off of their feet, without dust, without being connected to the dust. There's a Gemara in Chulin which speaks about this sorceress who went going picking up the. The the, the, the the dust from beneath the feet. I think it was of a rabbi chia, right? In order to cast a spell on him, it's oh. all the offer because it's machishim Pamali Pamali It's against. It's the polar opposite of whatever Hakadosh Baruch Hu is, and what Hakadosh Baruch Hu wants. And that's why Paray is offer. That's who he is. That's where this quote unquote where this magic is able to be made is able to be is able to be formed. So that's a, another idea, at least a starting point of which can be seen to be found in the words of, of, uh, of Rabbeinu Nobachia. Uh-huh. Yes. Was it Balak and was it Samcharev and Nobuchadnezzar? Is it that they, they floated, they flew in the air, unconnected to the ground? It says by the 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 uh, by uh, that he had them flying right the the, hargu al chalalehem as surves churves, reva right so the five Midian, it says they killed them al chalalehem on their corpses, so there was a kishuf that they did in order to fly the kishuf enabled them to fly, but evidently to perform the kishuf to begin with. It's the opposite of flying. You have to be on the ground. The Kishuv sent them into hyperspace, whatever it was, or at least to, to levitate. The first child that was born to Yosef was called Menashe. Why? Because Nashani Aleikim, Hashem made me forget all of my difficulty and my father's house. Here, Rabbeinu Bach, he says, I now want to tell you pshat in a word, in a phrase that we use all the time, and that is be Nosha. What's the term be Nosha? If you'll go to a wedding next time, as Hashem, you listen carefully when the Ksuba is read, and it says, it speaks about the Nadunya, the dowry which she brings, and it says sometimes, from her father's house. When the person's not coming, typically from a father's house, what it says, me Bay nasha." What does that mean, me Bay nasha"? I understand. From the base hanoshim, from the house of women, but it would be nashaya. What is it? Says Rabbeinu Bachia. It's built on this pasuk. Nashaniyalekim is, Hashem made me forget, and Bay is the house that's to be forgotten. Why? Says Rabbi because the Torah says when a person gets married a man will leave his father and mother and attach himself to his wife and by the same token a woman leaves her father and mother to attach herself to her husband so what happens? she forgets her familial home she forgets her familial home that's why it's called Beinosha the house that now as we're filling out this ksuban as she's getting married the house that she's going to some degree to forget. That's Bein Nosher. like Nashani Alekim, Eskol Amaliv, Eskol Beis Avi. Perkman Beis, Pasuk Aleph. Ayar Yaakov Kiyei Shever B'mitzrayim. Yaakov saw that there was Shever in Mitzrayim. What's Shever? Shever we usually understand as provisions. Bar Shever Asherim Sheverim. Did you know that? Maybe you knew that. Maybe you didn't know that. Wouldn't be, wouldn't be, wouldn't be, a big shock if you didn't know that. If you wanted to say, if you were so to speak given a task to write one pasuk in the Torah, <coughs> and that Pusik was the pasuk which describes that Yaakov saw that there was food available in Mitzrayim, what would you write? Byar Yaakov kiyes lechem kiyes Yesh mezaynayiz b'mitzrayim. Yesh kama b'mitzrayim. Many ways to say it. Instead it says yesh shever b'mitzrayim, which is a fair word, but it's a rather obscure word. And so Ravenu Bachya says that the Pesach spoke this way and chose this word for a double entendre, to say something else. And that was that Yaakov Avinu also saw that there was going to be a breakdown in Mitzrayim. Shever means where something is broken. And when Yaakov Avinu saw what was going on, he saw that it's true that there's a short-term gain that we're going to have over here, which is, we have no grain, so we have the short-term, maybe I should say the short-term grain, right? That we're going to be able to have grain. We're going to have what we what we need, but he also saw that Mitzrayim is going to be a place of difficulty, right? And in fact, in this posuk, when it says, Mitzrayim, what does he say to his sons? Redu Shama, Veshivrulanum misham." Redu Shama, go down there, and go and get for us provisions from there. But Redu, this is the place from where we learn how long the Jewish people were in Mitzrayim. How long were we in Mitzrayim? 210 years. Keminyan Redu. Like the number, the gematria of Redu. We know it couldn't be 400 because we did the math about who went down and how old everybody was. It couldn't have been 400 years. How many years was it? It was Redu Shana. Because Yaakov said Redu Shama. Go down there. Says, uh, uh, says Rabbeinu Bachia, that's the Shever. The shever that he saw, shever b'mitzrayim, is that we're going down. There are provisions there. But there's also shever. There's going to be a major breakdown for the Jewish people. 210 years of worth of breakdown that we'll have in Mitzrayim. And then, Rabbeinu Bachya brings another pshat, also in the term of kyeh shever b'mitzrayim. And that is sibram, what is Sibram? Sibram is a hope. A hope. Yaakov saw that there were provisions in Mitzrayim. But he could have said, Lechem, Mozayim, Kema, Chitim, whatever, payreis. He says, there's Shever B'mitzrayim. Meaning, they have a hope. They have hope, which is there for them in the future of Mitzrayim. So the simple shot is there's grain in Mitzrayim. But what's always in the background here? in what the Shvatim are doing when they go down to Mitzrayim, and even what Yaakov is saying is, there's more to going down to Mitzrayim. In Mitzrayim is going to be your goals, but in Mitzrayim is also going to be your hope, your Geula, the possibility of the Jewish people to be able to, uh, to rebuild. Those are the things that we have here in this explanation of Shever, that there is Shever the Mitzrayim. I want to just conclude with you tonight in, there, there are other things I'll, I'll mention just one more thing because it's consistent with something we learned from Rabbeinu Bakhi the last time we learned together Rabbeinu Bakhi which was more than more, you know a little while ago it says I want you to go back and take back Shever ra'avain Batechem so Shever again means the provisions ra'avain for the famine for the hunger that's in your house so on the one hand, Yeshua was being very gracious, and he was saying, here, take back the stuff that your family needs, that they shouldn't be hungry. But all he sent was shevera Ra'avain. Take that, which is going to be pro- providing for getting rid of the Ra'avain, the hunger from your family. Says Rabbeinu Bach, a- saivna- The Tzadik eats just to satisfy himself. So, there's not going to be indulgence. There's just going to be shever ra'avayin. There's going to be the provisions that will sort of curb or end the hunger that you face. And he says, that's what Yetzel HaTzadik said after introducing himself. I want, this is what you should do. I am a God-fearing person. I'm a God-fearing person. So as a God-fearing person, I'm not completely involved in pursuing this material world for everything it has to offer. Take back what you need. Take back that which will address the Ra'avain. The hunger that's there in your household. So I just again, as I started to say and stopped, is that uh, as you go on in the parsha, you will find at the end that Ravenu Bachia has a major essay, and the essay is about an interesting thing, and that is the din of the, the din, the story of the Asara Ruge Malchus, the Ten Martyrs. Chazal tell us, as you all know from the davening of Yom Kippur and from the kinah of Tisha B'av, that the the 10 martyrs which would happen in the days of the Romans, they were taken, they were punished on account of the 10 brothers of Yosef who had sold him. And remember the shoes that filled the palace? Remember that the, 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 the melech said, you know, it says in your Tyre that a person who steals someone and kidnaps them and sells them, they should die. So, what do you guys do with that when you look at your own avais, the Shvatim, the Shiftei Ka, who they went and they kidnapped and sold their brother Yosef Hatzadeh? And because we couldn't answer, they couldn't answer, the Asararugay Malchus were killed in place of the Asaras Hashvatim. That's a famous story, which we all know again from the davening of Yom Kippur and from the Kinais. Rabbeinu Bahya, here in our parsha, and he'll do it more subsequently tries to tie that narrative in here a little bit. And he says that um, the kseinus pasim, the cloak of Yaisaf HaTzadik, was the beginning of the jealousy. It was the beginning of the cruelty. The brothers ripped off that ksinus and dipped it into blood and sent it back. And so he says that's why they suffered the gufam with their physical bodies, the ten haruge malchus, because the body is like a cloak as well. It's the goof is the ksainaslan efesh. Very interesting. And then Rabbeinu Bakhya points out that if you look at this parsha, it uses the term Hanoshim, the men, ten times. And those ten times, he says, are a remes to the Asura haruge Malchus, which he goes on to, to list. But then Rabbeinu Baha says, I want you to know that the Asar didn't happen at once. The way we have it, the way we seem to read about it, it was a parade of people who were taken as the collective ten for the sale of Yasef, and uh, pretty much in one tkufa, those ten were executed. You have this story, you have that story, but all of them were killed in that same tkufa. Rabbeinu Bachir holds and demonstrates that it didn't happen all at once, and that it was uh, it happened over an extended period of time, and uh, uh, you know, eventually, yes, it did it did happen, but it happened over a uh, over an extended period of time. And Rabbeinu Bachir writes as well in the uh, um, in the end. He writes that you know there's a Chazal which says that the Chachamim who were killed they didn't actually even get killed, that their souls were interchanged with the souls of their captors. Like for example, Rabbi Shmuel Kain or Ruchanit ben Tradion was traced with Lupianus Caesar. So he says. <speaking in Hebrew> the same way Yitzchak was exchanged for the isle, for the ram, and he was rewarded as if he was offered as a carbon. We consider it as if Yitzchak was offered as a carbon, even though he wasn't, even though in the end it was the ram, and his ashes is, are considered on the mizbeach, so too the Chachmei Israel, the ten martyrs, they didn't actually die. They were threatened with death, they came close to death, but in the end it wasn't their souls that were, that were taken. But nevertheless, he says, it's still going to be that the benefit of, of, uh, of the action which they did, which they were ready to do, which they were intending to do, they uh, you know, will accrue to us as well. So we'll see this. Rabbeinu Bach is going to return to this theme later in Parsha Svehigash. And amongst other things he's going to say, he's going to ask a remarkable question, and the question is going to be, but why should they be punished if Yosef gave them forgiveness? Why should that punishment of the ruge Malchus have to be there for the ten shvatim if, Hash- if Yehzeb HaTzadik forgave them? And Rabbi Bach is going to teach us that Yehzeb never did forgive them. He never said you're forgiven. He just said, we'll move on. Move on doesn't mean the same thing as forgiven. So there's a, to, there's a lot to look at here. Both his historic historic assertion that the story didn't happen at once, and of course the content of uh, of uh, of what happened itself, uh, of what happened itself. But he sees he sees in it, especially again in the fact that in this parasha it speaks about the Anashim, so many times, because it's referring to those great men who would stand in ultimately, in their place, to have the uh, to have the 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 Xeris, amalthus hamalchus, know, to have it affect them affect them as as well. That's the idea. More or less some ideas from Abena Bachia in our Parsha. Hope it was meaningful and productive. Everybody should have a good time.